The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. If you are listening live, you're welcome to join our discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us right now or anytime during the show at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. We'd love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So active addicts and alcoholics live in a world of what we would call make-believe. Minds become confused to the point that we can't tell the true from the false. Once we enter recovery, we break the denial, we confront and begin to change our reality. And so today, we'd like to share with you our own journeys from hopelessness to a new reality. And we'll begin by sharing our experiences of how we were living in that fog that's created by addiction, and then move into the ways spiritual principles brought clarity and a path to healing. After the break, we'll share exactly how we used spiritual tools to create a life of clarity and joy. So Lonnie, I think this is one of those uh, topics that all of us in uh, addiction recovery at least can relate to. What, What do you remember about that mental fog, that sort of uh, disconnect in some ways from from reality in your early days? Well, you know, to start with, I think about all of the um, denial about under the influence. You know, being under the influence is obviously a skewed perspective, a skewed reality. I'm fine. I'm not fine. I can drive. You know, I can't drive. <laughs> There's all those kinds of experiences that are obvious, external, other people can observe. But the fog that that permeated my life was one about uh, distorted feelings as much as anything, you know, and, and belief systems. Um, you know, because one of the things I realized is that it didn't matter if I was the the person with the addiction or living with a person with addiction, because I had that going on too. What was skewed was um, this whole perception of what reality looked like. You know, the, the people that live with this person that 
is an addiction here's all kinds of things like well i didn't do that well you must be mistaken well you know that's not the way that was uh well you don't feel that way you know and i mean that kind of stuff echoed throughout my childhood and early recovery to the point that i didn't know what i felt or who i was it was really foggy when i think about this um you know when when we're the one with the active addiction uh, we, of course, are unaware for the most part. I think maybe some glimpses here and there uh, that we choose to ignore about this kind of thing. And so when I think about that uh, mental fog, my mind goes back to the early, you know, starting in the early days of recovery. And when I think about that, it's, you know, that that's when it became shockingly clear. I remember even in the first month of sobriety, um, that the serenity prayer, you know, that's so, so powerful and so popular was so complex to me. I had a really hard time remembering how it went. It had parts to it. There was like three sections. And then at first it was this, and then what came after that? And it just seemed like a, it seemed like a, a twisty path through the woods to get from one end to the other. And, you know, when I look back on that, that's a pretty simple uh, prayer as they go. But for me to be sitting there like genuinely perplexed with, you know, how am I going to remember this? This feels really complicated. That was a big, you know, one of those spiritual two by fours, if you will, um, that showed me just where my mind had gone. Uh, fortunately, it's been uphill from there. Uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But I definitely remember th that distinct fog, especially at the beginning, that was so uh, troubling, really. Yeah, it is troubling, particularly when we rely on our intellectual capacity to help us get through life. You know, at least that's one of the tools that I used. Not recognizing that this is deteriorating with my use, you know. And um, I can recall you know, sitting in literature meetings and not understanding the concepts. I understood the words that they said, but they did not connect into a full concept, you know, and, and one that I remember in particular had to do with, you know, putting your hand on a hot stove. You know, it's not just don't do that. It's what is the kind of thinking that leads up to that? It took me years before I understood we were talking about the thinking pattern and not the behavior. You know, and, and so there were things like that that I I can look back on now and I go, it was six or seven years before I started grasping the concepts that underlie some of these things that we talk about in recovery. And I, I had some medical issues early on as well. And so that confounded things even worse because I had medication, I had illnesses, I had other things that did not do my memory any any help. Yeah, I, I had the exact same experience of, of not understanding what people were talking about at meetings. And again, like you shared, yeah, I know the words. Uh, I'm, I'm adept at English. I, I can hear that part of it. But, you know, th there was some of it was a vocabulary and a jargon that I wasn't quite used to yet. And a big part of it was this fog that we're talking about. You know, the, the people in the meetings in general had a whole lot more clarity and insight and experience with the whole uh, spiritual growth path, the whole recovery path than I did. And, and of course, I'm a, you know, very much a beginner. And so what I found helped, of course, was to keep showing up. You know, we say suit up 
and show up. And slowly over time, I began to get uh, more of what you're pointing at, like, well, you know, we're not really talking about a stove. I mean, of course, why would I touch a hot stove? That's stupid. I wouldn't touch it again. Well, that's a, that is a, a story that has some layers to it. And I don't begin to see those layers until I've been around a while. You know, and my eyes begin to be opened and I'm, oh, oh, yeah, I guess I did kind of do. I was like that. You know, I did do that. And I can identify with more and more things the longer that I was around. But, yeah, mental fog, not understanding what people were talking about at meetings. I'm glad uh, that for whatever reason, and I think it was just the warmth and the camaraderie um, that I was willing to go back because if I was only uh, – relying on my understanding, I don't know that I would have felt like that there was a lot there. Uh, what brought me back was the, the, um, you know, the community and the connection and the warmth and the acceptance, um, the mental fog shifted over time. And I, and I did start to understand more about what was being said, but especially at first I, I did not. You know, for me, a lot of it had to be pointed out as it happened. You know, I was uh, I was blessed in the fact that somebody walked me into the first meeting hall, handed me off to somebody and said, she's new. And, you know, the community from that point forward, I had a companion, you know, a sponsor, a temporary sponsor, other people that hung out together. And it was it was those folks that would say I would. I would say, well, I'm not going to go to the meeting tonight because whatever, X, Y, Z. And somebody would point out the excuse in it. It seemed like a logical reason to me, but they would say, oh, it's an excuse. No, you're rationalizing because you want to do this instead, or you're in denial about your, you don't want to talk about these feelings you're having, and so you're not going to show up. You know. And so as my life unfolded in the presence of these other folks in this supportive spiritual community, there were people willing to... I'm going to use the word call me on it, mm -hmm. but point it out, you know, and that's one of the probably the most valuable things that accelerated my recovery of, of any of the, the uh, experiences that I had was somebody was willing to say, no, that's not right. That's not what's going on here. Yes, or I see it differently yes. in a very kind <laughs> way. I think I learned that phrase from you. Uh, another way that, that um, my experience of mental fog showed up was um, – so, yes, it was all new. Uh, yes, I knew I was not really getting uh, all the depth of what was being discussed. But I was also just unsure how this whole thing worked, you know, and that coupled with uh, a general feeling of being unmoored, you know, uh, a, a um, let's see, an uncomfortable uh, feeling of you know, being adrift at sea and disconnected, not meaning that I couldn't find someone to call or someone that could understand what I was saying, but disconnected like, like, um, you know, if I'm a hot air balloon and, and I'm, I'm usually staked to the ground and then something happens and woo, I'm just floating out there. I felt like that for a long time. I mean, years, I think, and it would come and go, you know, it wasn't constant, but that was a, that was a, you know, mental, maybe even emotional fog, if there's such a thing um, that I experienced early on was, you know, man, I, I don't really get how this works. And not only that, I just feel like I'm floating out here. You know, I don't even know what 
is what anymore. You know, how um, relying on uh, a substance to sort of fill in the gaps and to be okay in the world and then have that gone, you know, all that lack of okayness was front and center. And, it, and what it felt like to me was just sort of this unmoored or free-floating, um, it didn't feel good. I didn't like it. Yeah, I called that anxiety for yes, me. Absolutely. You know, that's that's what it was. And so one of the ways that that showed up for me and it was high anxiety was um unable to to juggle all the things I had juggled before, you know, in my profession with um alcohol or pills to take the edge off. I was able to keep six or seven projects going. I could keep track of them. I could keep everything in the air. I didn't drop any balls. But once I got uh, clean, it was like, oh, my God, I can't hardly remember what I'm supposed to do next, let alone keep, you know, and I learned that it was an illusion in my mind that I was actually in control of these things, that I was actually able to do these things. And so one of the things that I uh, had a lot of difficulty with was identifying options, or identifying choices. What should I do next? Well, I can only see black and white. It's all or none. I either <laughs> right. got to do it all or I'm not going to do anything, you know, uh, with any given thing. And I can see that today when I sit in a meeting and a newcomer comes in and the obvious answer pops out to me like, well, don't do that. Well, leave them. Well, <laughs> you know, yes. if, if it hurts when you do that, don't do that. But <laughs> those were not obvious to me, you know, and it, it took a while for the fog to clear for me to understand that there were more options than run or um, or dive in, which were the only two that I knew at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to mention just ever so briefly that this applies, of course, not only to those of us with addiction, but those of us, as you said, living with addiction and questioning our own senses and reality. So let's keep that thread going as we move ahead, too. So now that we know about this challenge, this fog created by addiction, whether you have the addiction or whether you're living with the addiction, what's the solution? In unity, we affirm that the universe is governed by spiritual principle or spiritual law. And these principles are unchanging and represent the absolute truth upon which we can heal and grow. We know that when we feel unsure or when we want to change our experience of the world, we can turn to spiritual principles to guide us as we create or co-create a new life experience. So the solution to this challenge of the fog of addiction is rooted squarely in spiritual principle. So that's what we want to focus on today. But that's a really broad term. So what do we mean when we say spiritual principle? And how can we make it concrete enough to be truly useful as a recovery tool? Dan, would you shed a little light on this? I will try. That's probably the best I can do. Um, when I think about a spiritual principle, I think about kind of as we shared an, an unchanging truth. You know, so much of what we experience in the world is ultimately unreliable. And in fact, I know that my own uh, relationship with alcohol and other things, even things like smoking cigarettes, was because at least it was reliable. You know, every gas station had uh, cigarettes that I liked. And so no matter what was happening, I could count on that being there. You know, no matter what was happening, um, alcohol would help me relieve any sense of uh, tension or unease or um, disconnection. And so I relied on those things. And without that, 
I needed something uh, new to rely on, something that truly uh, was unchanging and ever-present. Even, you know, when removing the substances, it's still there. And so uh, that kind of unchanging truth is what I call a spiritual principle. So one of them, for example, um, the idea or the principle that says God is good— Right, so this is a, a bit of a theology, right? It's a it's it's part of my definition, my understanding of what I call God, and I choose it, and I choose uh, to live in a universe where there is a God that is always good, all the time, everywhere, and so I I that becomes a, a primary assumption that I can then work with. Well, if God's good all the time, then you know why am I having such a hard time with this? I don't know. Let's look and see what might be going on. Am I disconnected? Is there something else I could be doing? But by having um, a spiritual principle, an unchanging truth, uh, to to you know, kind of have be relative to what I'm experiencing, I've found to be so helpful in in building a new life. And that's so. That's an example. What's a spiritual principle? Something like that. God is good. You know, I got a great deal of comfort from one line that said, spiritual principles will solve all my problems. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, oh, I got to know what those are, you know, and I did not understand them. I did understand the piece that it was unchanging. It was an anchor point. If I could learn a spiritual principle, it would begin to, to anchor me to something that was headed in the right direction. And, you know, I think about the principles behind the, the 12 steps and the 12 powers when I think of, of those kind of principles, um, you know, and the first one being honesty. If I can just be honest in my life, my life's going to begin to change. Yes. You know, and I didn't have to understand God or have a theology or have any concept of this higher power thing that people were talking about at that point. I just had to practice how do I be more honest than I am right now? You know, and it, it, that piece was a journey and we've talked about that before. Uh, and, and we will again at another point in time, I think. But so that unchanging piece of what is a principle that doesn't change, you know, what, what does honesty look like? I know what it is. Can I do that? Well, I need to practice that. Yeah. And uh, another thing that comes to mind when I ask myself, what is a spiritual principle um, is uh, a practical tool or solution that I can rely on again in times of trouble. Now, my first example was, you know, that's more of a, oh, I don't know, it's more of an abstract concept. I mean, it, it's a truth, God is good is a truth that I can uh, work from and, and take some um, comfort in. But also, I need practical tools. So example, uh, gratitude. I think gratitude, it, it is either itself a spiritual principle, or it's so squarely rooted in one that functionally it is itself. I'm not sure. But I know that gratitude is something that I can choose. Um, it always works the same way. You know, that, that uh, practice that's so common among us of making a gratitude list, or, or we might go to an open discussion meeting, and, and someone says, does anyone have a topic? And someone says, I think we should talk about gratitude, and, and everyone groans uh, again, and then we have a fantastic meeting again, because it's such an uplifting thing to focus on. And again, I'm, I'm choosing to focus on gratitude. I'm choosing to look. In a way, it's kind of like the, the if, I, if, if I know that God is good, this is how I implement that. 
you know, okay, so then therefore what? Well, therefore, there's good in everything, and I'm going to look for it. I'm going to make a game and a practice out of finding the good. And if I'm willing to, which is another pr uh, principle, if I'm willing to, then uh, I can really turn my life experience around. And I have many, many times over and over and over. So spiritual principle like gratitude, a practical tool, a practical solution when I'm having trouble. I like that definition, a practical tool. I was thinking about um, one of the one of the things that I became um, aware of was awareness. That I can't change something in my life if I'm not aware of it. If I'm not aware of what's going on, if I'm not aware that it's not right or it's not working for me, you know, so much of my life was on autopilot, and alcohol and drugs only continued that. You know, it allowed me to tolerate intolerable situations. Mm. And so awareness for me functioned as a spiritual principle, you know, that if that I have to open my eyes is part of breaking denial. It's part of of losing that fog. You know, I can I can tolerate things um, to a point to when I become aware. And when I become aware, all of a sudden now it's not OK with me anymore. And I need to make some changes. Now, maybe I don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe it requires some things that I'm not willing yet to, to take care of. But I become aware. I can't unsee it. I can't unknow it. I can't unfeel it. And so this awareness is a big piece of that uh, um, need to make a change, you know, the desire to make a change. So when something's not working, you know, how's that working for you? Well, if it's not working, it's it's I'm aware it's not working. I need to go from there and use some of these other tools that we're talking about. Yeah, that phrase you can't unring that bell comes to mind. What mm -hmm. you can't unsee it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. I find that to be true with recovery in general. Um, so another way, what's a spiritual principle? Um, I can see it as a it's a way of being in the world that I can aspire to. So, for example, humility, I believe, is a spiritual principle. And I can aspire to living a life from that place of humility. I can uh, see it in others. Uh, I can notice when maybe I'm not living that way and think, okay, I, I see that. Just like you said, awareness. I'm aware that the way I showed up right there um, I know a different way to do that, and next time I, I'm going to affirm, next time I, I set the intention that I will show up differently. I will show up um, for other people and not um, coming from a place of myself all the time. And to me, that's what humility is in general, is the ability to know that uh, that I'm okay, to know that to the extent that I don't have to run around worrying about it, talking about it, telling people about it, et cetera. I can just go ahead and be okay, and that frees up my mo emotional and spiritual and mental energy to just simply be with what uh, what's going on with someone else. And it's I, re I find it really quite enjoyable, um, although it's not a it's not a you know it's a challenging practice over time. It's something I think that I can always um, work to become more aware of and to to get a little bit better and deeper with it. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those lifetime practices. So what's a spiritual principle? Uh, it's a way of being in the world I can aspire to, like humility. I was thinking about how much fear drove my life and what 
types of spiritual principles helped me get out of fear. And when I was in the fog, the only tool I had to deal with fear with was either to run, as I mentioned earlier, or to try to control it. You know, and so I entered this recovery pathway with control issues. If I could just control you, if I could just control the outer circumstances, if I could just control my boss, if I could just control my spouse, if I could just control all these things, I will be okay. And one of the things um, that was pointed out to me after many years in the program, I got to go join another program, was that that wasn't what I needed to control. <clears throat> and that too is a spiritual principle, you know, that that for me fits in with the awareness piece is an inventory of what am I doing? If I'm trying to uh, rearrange the, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic, mm -hmm. it, and while the ship's going down, you know, I need to be attending to the ship, not to the chairs. And so I had to learn some other spiritual tools that, and this one I will call inventory. Where am I really? What am I doing really? And it had to do with learning about how I was addressing this underlying fear in my life, which, which I had for many years. Um, it got less as I worked through the program, but you know that was one of the tools that I had to use. And, and I think of these spiritual principles, I think of a list of tools. You know, How can I apply this? Yeah, I love the practicality of it as well. I mean, I'm all for uh, theory and ideas. I'm very comfortable in the world of ideas, but um, I need practical steps. I need a so what, you know, that's that's nice and I see it, but how is that helpful to me? How is that helpful to others? How does that help me be helpful to others? Uh, one way I can see a spiritual principle and again, you know, in a practical manner is it, in a sense, it's a decision that I make. I mean, that, that could apply to the other things I shared about, but I'm thinking of the principle of faith. I see faith as uh, a decision that I make, a choice, um, and I make it with uh, a specific purpose in mind uh, so that I can build a, a better life experience. I can create, or we talk about co-creating uh, with God um, a life experience that is more in line with what seems right and good and true for me at that time, you know, and that can change. But just that uh, decision that allows the the principle to, you know, always be there, that, that unchanging aspect, I think, is what I'm talking about here, that if, if everything else, uh, you know, goes to heck in a handbag, so to speak, I have things I can fall back on that are spiritual principles. And faith is one of them. And faith says there's more to it than this. It's good underneath it all. And so all I need to do is stick with this, look for the opportunity. Where's the doorway? Where, you know, where's the improvement that I can find in here? Um, instead of just staying stuck in, oh, well, this is happening again. It's always the same. It's never going to get any better. Instead, I think, no, that, that's not true. There's more going on here. Let me look for it. My faith uh, in, tells me I can find it. So hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. listening to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing that mental fog, that kind of befuddling fog that uh, so many of us in addiction recovery have experience with, that lack of clarity uh, with an addiction. That brings a whole mental fog of its own. And then we were also talking about the solution to that, which is spiritual principle. So Lonnie, now that we know this challenge is the mental fog uh, related to addiction and the solution is applying spiritual principles to how we live. How exactly does that work? How can we use spiritual principles to come to a life of maybe we could call it clarity and joy? You know, I recall early on that I was told about this spiritual toolkit and I was baffled. You know, what is a spiritual toolkit? I had no idea what the tools were in this kit, you know, and I was taught, oh, prayer, Prayer is a spiritual tool, you know, prayer is based on a spiritual principle, this principle of connection. And so I I started paying attention to what are these spiritual tools. And so I ended up with a laundry list so that I could um, see which one do I need to use? Because for a long time, I only had a hammer in my toolkit, you know, (laughs) it was like, you know, I didn't, didn't know whether to do this or this or that. And so it was, um, it was one of these cases of, I'd try, first thing I'd try is prayer, you know, because that's all I had in my bag. Well, that's a good one because it works a lot, but I see we have a caller. So let us hear uh, what Rita has to say. If I can click the right thing. Go ahead, Rita. Can you hear us? Hi. How are you? Good. Welcome, and thank you for calling. Thank you. I've I've messaged you once before on Facebook, and I just really um, enjoy your show together, your conversation together, and all the archived podcasts. They're very helpful. Um, I have a daughter who is addicted and uses uh, a variety of substances, and you were talking earlier about... um, you were you would tolerate intolerable situations when you were in that fog of addiction, um, and she is definitely using to tolerate intolerable situations. Um, and I also find that she creates them. She she also is part of that uh, creating an intolerable situation, and that in, in in and of itself, I think, is an addiction. It certainly can be. And, you know, one of the things that I learned is I could see this in others and I couldn't see it in myself. I could Mm -hmm. see that they were in that they were tolerating things. And and I had to turn that around and say, what am I tolerating that I really need to be working on instead? Mm -hmm. Because I Mm -hmm. I learned I couldn't fix the other person. You know, I have I have a, a sister who also joined me in recovery after I was in recovery nine years. And for the first mm-hmm. eight years, I tried to fix her. It didn't work, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And I, yes. I, I had to practice letting go and allowing her to find her mm-hmm. own path. And 
focusing on what do I need to do not to buy into the stories, not to buy into the, the mess that was going on. Mm-hmm. That was being created. Um, and I've also heard on kind of a different tangent here, I've listened to a lot of things online trying to understand um, where she's at. And, and my part in it too, as a codependent for many years with her, um, and I wonder, is it the best, you know, I know the 12-step program. I've been into a Codependence Anonymous. I've gone to Al-Anon. And I won- I'm wondering if, you know, getting to the cause, what is creating the need to pick up the pill bottle or the drink, you know, is that not being addressed and just experiencing whatever it is that is causing so much discomfort that you have to reach for something? Well, what I can share about is my own story. And what I know Mm -hmm. about that is that there's some level of trauma and there's some level of um, discomfort that even I could not get to for years. And it was, Mm -hmm. there was some abandonment stuff. There was some traumatic stuff. uh, And it was Mm -hmm. in some cases, as the literature says, a case of purposeful forgetting. And in other cases, it was truly buried and required um, a lot of willingness and counseling and program and other tools in order to to start a recovery program from that. So, you know, it's um, and it's what I have found in my life is that it's not for me to know about somebody else's that yeah. I I'm reminded of um in the in the sibling programs, and I, I've also been involved in the on the Al-Anon side of it. Uh, the principle that have helped me the most are the ones uh, that said, "I did not create this. I can't cure it, and I can't control it." And that's kind of what I'm hearing because uh, when I say, you know, well, why is this happening? And you know, I have a family member that's been through all kinds of stuff, and you know, I've been the one with the mental fog because they're standing there telling me things that like, this is not true. Is this true? I, <laughs> I want it to be so things would be okay, but I don't think it is. You know, it's that kind of thing. I didn't, yeah. uh, I didn't create it. I can't control it and I can't cure it. But what I can do is look in the mirror and, and you use that phrase, what's my part in it, which I think is very powerful. And that's the only path of relief that I could find is by uh, not thinking, you know, setting aside, I don't know why they do what they do, and it's frustrating and irritating and upsetting, uh, but let me look at, well, what can I, what can I do, given that I can't control or cure them? Okay. So that, yeah, and that leads into another one of our spiritual tools, you know, another spiritual tool in a toolkit, and that is learning to let go. You know, learning mm-hmm. the power of release. And we've talked about that some other times. So, you know, I thank you, Rita, for calling in and, um, you know, for bringing that up and bringing it yeah. to our attention. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sure that this has helped a lot of people because what you're describing is so very common and so troubling. There is a solution and there is a path and it, and it just takes time. And I'm glad that you're on the path. I can hear that. All right. Well, thank you so much. I enjoy your shows. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And this learning to let go is really a challenge, you know, because we uh, we've talked about that in other shows. You know, everything we ever let go of had claw marks all over it. <laughs> that's right. You know, and, and for me, that's part of my control issue. I feel out of control. I, I am scared to death. I don't know what's going on. My comfort blanket has been removed. I've got my claws in it. I want to control the situation. Yeah. And what's the right answer? Let go. Yeah, I hate that answer. 
Yeah, me you too. You know, what, what it reminds me is the, uh, and maybe you've got a, a better term for this, the spiritual principle of the hula hoop. That's how I remember it. <laughs> the spiritual principle that says, look, if I'm standing inside a hula hoop, my area of responsibility is everything that's inside it, which is a silly way of saying it. it, it it's only I. I, I only have influence on whatever whatever I am thinking or doing. And anything outside the hula hoop, you know, we're back to the, the core Al-Anon principles. I didn't create it. I can't control it. And I can't cure it. And that's such a difficult place to be. But that silly image of the hula hoop has helped me so many times. Because if I find myself getting upset, I, I can literally bring that to mind and say, is this in my hula hoop? Or, if you know, if you have a friend who's... Uh, in recovery, you could say, is this a hula hoop issue? You know, if someone was listening to you, they'd be like, what are they talking about? Is this, is this the hula hoop thing? Well, yes, I think it is the hula hoop thing. Let's talk about that. You know, and I, I see that um, from a, a different language perspective. I call it boundaries. There you, you go. Know, I, I had to learn emotional boundaries as well as physical boundaries. It isn't just if I'm uncomfortable in their space, don't go there. It was also, how do I not take that angst home with me? How do I not live with it between my ears, rent-free? You know, how do I establish these boundaries so that um, they work on their problems and I work on mine? And so for me, the power of release we talk about in Unity a lot is a, a, a big piece of learning how to do that, to, to turn this over. And for me, I already mentioned prayer. Prayer, prayer and meditation are essential in my process of letting go. You know, what also comes to mind with this is that principle of responsibility, in, in meaning being able to discern, and, and this is another way of stating the hula hoop thing, being able to discern what is mine to do and therefore what is not. What am I responsible for and what am I not responsible for? You know, at the end of many meetings, uh, I've stood in a circle with the group and, and recited uh, what we call a responsibility statement. And what it says in essence is that whenever someone's reaching out for help, I want, I want the recovery group to be there with the door open, you know, to be there when we said the coffee's on. Um, but the first part of that is when someone reaches out for help. It doesn't say anything about going to get people that I can, I know that this, I know that that guy needs recovery really badly. What can I do to uh, get him into recovery? Uh, nothing at all. That's not what it says. That's not my responsibility. That's outside my boundary, outside my hula hoop. But I can take responsibility for what's inside it and make sure, you know, when someone reaches out for help, I'm going to make sure that the hand uh, of the group is there to help them. That I can that I can take ownership of and do my part, and that's helpful. You know, I had a sponsor that told me once that my overdeveloped sense of responsibility is what overloaded my life, mm. and and I can see how that worked. And so I had to do a lot of work around that. And the very first question that my sponsor would ask, I'd listen to, I'd tell her all of these things, and she'd listen carefully to it, and then she'd say to me one simple sentence, and she'd say, "Did they ask?" <laughs> You know, I have all these opinions about what this this person needs to do in their life. And she said, that was the entry point. Did they ask? And in fact, I had it engraved on a bracelet that I wore for years. Did they ask? Because I needed some way to set this boundary that 
um, I would not cross. You know, did they ask? No, they didn't ask. Okay, keep my mouth shut. You know, and and the next thing, if they did ask, there are people that will ask you that have no intention other than using you. You know, can I sleep on your couch forever? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen that way. And so then the next question is, is it mine to do? That was the second question in line for me. And it was mine to do if I have experience in it, if I did something about it and can describe a path, and if I can describe how it turned out for me. And that's kind of the way that I started narrowing down what is mine to do from all of the, the um, uh, superfluous requests and comments and, and chaff that would come around, you know, in, in this uh, whirlwind of addiction, all the energy that, that gets thrown around in that. But, you know, the very first question was, did they ask? That was so helpful that weeded out 90% of it. I need that bracelet. Or I should say <laughs> I, I have a virtual such bracelet as well. And I found more recently um, the call, you know, the opportunity has presented itself for me to be asking that that very thing. And, man, I, like you're saying, it has kept me out of all kinds of trouble um, because I can – if I'm even asking it, that usually means the answer is no, they didn't ask. And then, of course, that, you know, that aggravates my my desire to be helped. But I'm just trying to be helpful. Well, did they ask? No. All right. Then, then maybe I need to be helpful in a different way, like by not talking or something like that. You know, this is reminding me of a principle that I have found essential and super helpful, and that's open-mindedness. You know, simply being willing to see things differently. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, that doesn't mean that I have to conclude that I'm wrong or that someone else is right or whatever. It just means it, take that door that's closed. You know, the door that says, I already, I already know what's going on here and I see how all this works. To just open that door and let it sit open for a while, just in case there's something out there that might resonate with something I know that's a little bit different, a little bit different way of seeing it. Maybe I meet a person who has a different life experience and all of a sudden something they're saying is making sense when it never did before. Well, if I've, if I've left my mind open to possibilities, um, then I'm in a place where I might be able to hear that. And anytime I find myself in a box, which um, I, I don't know, but for whatever reason that the box seems a lot more apparent to me when I'm in a, a you know, a, a sibling program situation, the Anon, I'll just call it the Al-Anon side of things, whatever it might be. Um, those are the boxes I find they're difficult to be in. Uh, just remaining open to, you know what, uh, even though I, I really feel like I know what this person should be doing, um, maybe I'll stay open to the idea that this is not mine to do and, and just let it go at that and and see what happens you know being willing to do an experiment and to stay open to new possibilities and that's really hard to do to become open to the idea that they have their own path at least it was for me because i wanted people to have an easier time than what i had of it and it appeared that they were going to head down this path that was going to be really challenging for them and something i would never want to go through so you know and and so how do you get to willingness you know, that's a question that, that I had to look at because my initial response to almost everything is no or <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I have a million ideas why it's not going to work. 
and why it's not going to work for me. And we've talked about that in other programs as well. But when I hear this, this um, phrase go through my mind that says, yeah, but I know I'm like at 48% willing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've listened to the suggestion, but I haven't gotten to the 51% willing. And I used to, in my black and white thinking, believe I had to be 100% willing before I could take any action. And I have since learned I only need to be 51% willing and to take the first step. I can always change my mind, turn around, go back, pick up my misery, and go on with my life. That's right. Or I can take one step in, the, in another direction. I may not believe it's going to work. I may not think it's for me. I may think that you, you're just full of it, you know, what the story you're telling me about it. But the willingness to take that one step starts me on the path. And that's a tool. Absolutely, it is. You know, I, I'm I'm remembering. I've I've heard it said. Uh, you know, just give this program a try, and you know, if it's not for you, don't worry. We'll refund your misery in full. You can have it all back when you leave. Don't worry, it's still there. Um, a, a principle that comes to mind also is that of patience. You know, I I've not uh, historically been a patient person. In fact, that kind of the, the desire for an instant result is part, I believe, of what, um, you know, put me on a path of addiction. And so being patient is, is uh, something that I work on that's, that's challenging uh, for me. The idea that, um, you know, we have this saying, time takes time. I've heard that said by someone who's been around uh, to someone or to the room when the idea comes up, it's like, you know, well, it's not working. And, and well, how long do I have to do this? And yeah, yeah, but I already did that. And, 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 and you know, something, are you sure that this can all that kind of frantic, got to get this done sort of energy that so many of us come in with totally understandable time takes time. You know, you don't get 20 years sober uh, within a month because you're really, really, really good at it. You know what I mean? Uh, time takes time, and that takes patience. Uh, another saying I've always loved that's been super helpful, if I walk 10 miles into the woods, I have to walk 10 miles out of the woods. I'm not going to instantly undo something that took years and years of behavior to build up. Now, now maybe um, you know I, I can heal 10 years of something or other in only four years, right? But it's not going to happen in four months or four weeks or four days, let alone four minutes, you know, in a meeting. Time takes time. If, if, if I've been on a journey for a long time and I want to turn around and walk the other way, I'm, I'm probably going to be walking that way a good long time. Somewhat related to that, when I arrived, I thought this was a to-do list, you know, <laughs> yes. get through the 12 steps, be done. And then they told me that it was a lifelong program. Well, I still didn't understand what they meant. And they said, well, you do them over and over again. Okay. Well, I still didn't get that, that it wasn't a checklist for every day. Have I done every step or, you know, for a week? Did I make it through all of them or which one am I working on? And it was finally uh, explained to me that it is a program for living. And it's living by these principles. It is not doing these steps. You know, it is not that I take an inventory today. It is did I examine my life and find out what it's going right and what is not going as well and and what changes do I need to make? It is about how I am showing up emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically, not about my behavior necessarily, only my behavior. It starts with behavior in, in the program I began in, but that's not the only place that counts. You know, how am I doing on all the rest of this? 
I can pretend to be patient, to use your example. I can not blow up at people. You know, I can I can behave myself, but how am I on the inside? You know, am I raging? Am I annoyed? Am I irritable? And those were the things that were the layers that we talk about. You know, first this layer, I control my behavior. Okay, great, but my emotions are out of control. Mm. You know, now I got to work on my emotions. Why are they out of control? Because my thinking's out of control. You know, so what are the tools for working on my thinking? I got to get to that layer and start catching those thoughts as they go through my mind. Those are the things that I had to work on. And I had to find those tools to help me with that, the spiritual tools. I love what you're saying there about this is about living by the principles. And that made me think about, well, if, if it's about living by the principles, then what are the steps? And I realized, well, the steps are particular implementation of the principles. The steps are practices that help us learn what it means to live by that principle. Because we can then um, expand on that over time and say, well, you know, um, the, the, the particular way the step works, that's not the only way to get at it. That's a really good way, and I'll keep doing it. But it kind of expands, and we begin to live by um, – or, or another way to put it is principles over personalities. So that's that's an easy way for me to understand. Am I doing this because of who asked me? Or am I doing this because of what's right to do in this situation, no matter who asked me? No matter if it's someone that I'm fond of or someone I don't care for as much or whatever. Um, am I looking at the principle, not at the person? Am I looking at the principle, not at the action? Right, because the actions can help lead me into living by the principles, but it's living by the principles that we're after. I love it that you uh, pointed that out. I think that's so powerful. And and once I kind of get that, um, it feels like uh, you know my 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 serenity, my joy in life. Uh, I experience that a lot more often when I realize uh, where I really need to be coming from in all this from the principle. Well, that was a really hard lesson for me when I was about three years in, and that was that I, I was doing the checklist. Yeah, I say my prayers every morning, every night. Yeah, I go to this many meetings a week. Yeah, I work with other people. You know, check, 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 check. And in some ways, I was trying to earn sobriety or earn grace, if you want to use that word. And in other ways, but I was not practicing faith. I was not practicing letting go. I was not practicing willingness. I had a to-do list, and I was doing it. And so the next bottom that I hit at about three years in was an emotional bottom because it was I had to get down to the principles, not just the behaviors, you know, like we were just talking about. And, you know, another turn happened for me in the program when I got involved with unity because I found a whole new set of principles and we call them the 12 powers. How do I use these concepts and these ideas in my life and in my recovery to improve my life? And one of them was that power of thought. It was called out as, what am I thinking about? What am I believing? You know, what am I focusing on? And I had to learn how to change that. I love the practicality of the whole unity way of being. And, and I do think of it as a way of being in the world. Uh, you know, the Unity co-founders, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, had described it at one time as practical Christianity. And I think that there's that we could unpack that phrase for a long time. And I personally find it very meaningful. And, you know, each Sunday in church, as I'm sharing whatever it is that we're sharing that Sunday, I always try to be sure to make it practical. 
Um, you know, the world of ideas is great. Yes, we're going to live by principles, which is itself a principle. You know, it's an abstract concept. Living by spiritual principle is an abstract concept. So what do I do to actually do it? Well, here are some practical steps. And so I appreciate the practicality of unity along with the principles. So let us now move into action. Yes, unity's fifth principle, speaking of which, states it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from the mental fog of addiction or living with addiction to clarity using spiritual principles. So think of a way in which you're still experiencing remnants of or even a lot of that mental fog that comes from living with addiction. If you're new to recovery, you might find this general confusion that seems to follow you around. Or maybe you have some recovery time, but you're still working to regain your mental acuity. Or maybe you're simply looking for more joy in your life. What's important is to pick one thing, something simple to focus on in this exercise. And you can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So let's use the example of seeking more joy in life. Use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to feeling foggy or down. You could say something like, feeling dull and down is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud, but say it with conviction. The feeling dull or down is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, I'm a child of a generous and loving God. I know with confidence what is mine to do, and I do it. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and just take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Once again, feeling dull or down is not the truth of who I am. I'm a child of a generous and loving God. I know with confidence what is mine to do, and I do it. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something to help you on your recovery path. Thank you to our listeners and to our caller, and we bless you on your recovery journey. And thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for all these insights that we discussed today. And listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page anytime, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts, questions, or feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.